Hello and welcome to Tripcast 360, the show of lively banter about the world of travel, tourism and entertainment. I'm your co-host David Cumberbatch and I'm joined always by my co-host Michael Gordon-Bennett. We have a really great show today, you know, uh, enough talk about COVID for a change. We're actually going to get into something a little more exciting that has to do with photography, and we'll introduce our guest in just a moment. But before we jump into the uh, program, just a few notes. Uh, we love to hear travel stories from the voiceless travelers out there that are listening to us, and you can always send those to us at contact at tripcast360.com. Some of you may even become guests on our show, like our guest today. You can also follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and and listen to us on all your favorite podcasting outlets. And with all that being done, Dave, why don't you introduce our guest? Well, our guest for this episode is travel photographer Ralph Velasco. For more than 12 years, Ralph has been a full-time travel photographer and international tour organizer. He's created and led over 100 highly rated international tours to over 30 countries and four continents. Plus, over 100 domestic tours here in the United States. When not traveling, he's based in Chicago, his hometown. He's also co-host of the Traveling Image Makers podcast, where he interviews some of the top photographers. For the past 10 years, he's been a featured speaker on travel and photography at travel and adventure shows throughout the world. Ralph, welcome to TripCast 360. Hey, gentlemen, really nice to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on. I'm a big fan of travel photography, and it's a pleasure to be able to pick your brains on this subject. Tell me about your background, what inspired you to become a photographer, and where do you get your creative inspiration? Wow, that's a big question. But uh, I guess I've always been a photographer, like uh, most people, you know, I grew up, uh, my father really enjoyed photography and sort of got me into it way back in the film days. And um, so I yeah, was able to, uh, when digital photography came around in the early 2000s, I've always been a traveler. So since I was 15 in high school, I studied and in Spain for a summer. The next summer I was in Peru as a volunteer. The following summer I was in Venezuela as a volunteer and on and on. And so uh, I've always been a traveler first and uh, always had a camera with me. So I enjoyed that. But then with digital photography, seems like with, uh, you know, kind of everyone's interests sort of uh, went through the roof when digital photography became ubiquitous. Uh, and it was much easier to uh, you know take photographs. It seemed like it was less expensive because you didn't have to buy film and do developing. You could make a lot of mistakes, and it was easier to uh, eventually share images and you know just uh, put them on a memory card. So I thought early on, uh, back in 2003 and four, I guess that uh, there would be a market for people to. Uh, to people were wanting, going to want to learn how to use these new digital devices. And so I uh, had, you know, thought that there might be a, a interest in, in tours and doing, uh, and of course there's always been photo tours with uh, professional photographers, but I knew that it was going to, again, go through the roof when digital photography came around. And so uh, I started just little tiny photo walks, a couple hours here and there, uh, mostly in Chicago, where I was living at the time. 
And uh, then I moved to Southern California where I could do it year round. And so I uh, started doing some photo walks and things like that there while I was uh, actually a financial advisor. So I'd gotten into the financial services industry and I, I'm I'm sorry. Yep. (laughs) Financial services industry. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right. (laughs) Well, it gets better. So uh, this is 2005. And so I was uh, just getting my license and getting, uh, you know, all my certifications and things like that. I really didn't enjoy it. Uh, I did not care for, you know, I love stocks and, you know, investing and stuff, but I didn't like uh, just being a stock jockey. But at the same time, I was, teaching classes at the local city of Newport beach, adult education program, um, city of orange and, you know, different, uh, uh, orange coast college and some of the smaller, you know, non-accredited type, uh, classes that I was teaching and, um, and it, and it grew and, and then came September of 2008 and uh, if you'll recall, uh, that's when the financial crisis hit. Oh, yeah. And so the next day is when I went full time into photography. And uh, it was actually probably the best thing that ever happened to me was that financial crisis. <laughs> uh, fun, funnily enough, right? And so that forced me to go into photography full time. And uh, as you mentioned, since then, I've done over 100 international tours around the world and Amazing. Uh, have not looked back. Yeah. What's your, what's your photographic style? And those, those chain of events that you just mentioned, did that have an influence on the style that you now have? You know, I guess everything does have an influence on people's style. Um, I always say that I'm a travel photographer and a travel photographer has to be a jack of all genres, master of some. And what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, there's portrait photographers, landscape photographers, food photographers, architecture. Uh, Those are genres. Those are different types or categories of photography. Um, About 10 years ago, sort of towards the beginning of uh, the app craze, you know, uh, apps for our phones, uh, I created an app called My Shot Lists for Travel. And it was a very simple app with 52 different categories of a shot list in it and samples and explanations. And um, so what I did, uh, and I think as a travel photographer, we need to go out and we need to, you know, we want to tell the story of the place. And if you come back with just landscape pictures and, and nothing against landscape photographers at all, but as a travel photographer, Um, I want to come back with a variety of images because I want to tell the complete story of that place that I went to. And that would include landscape images and food, people, interiors, night scenes, all these different parts of the place, and then put those into a story. Uh, So that's, that's my idea. So, uh, you know, with regards to style, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know that I have a particular style as far as uh, like, if you looked at my images that you would see, I don't know, a particular post-processing, you know, process that I use that you say, Oh, that's a Ralph Velasco picture, but there's so many different types of images that I create. Uh, perhaps someone might think that, well, that might be a story by Ralph Velasco. I don't know. Um, I, I won't be so bold as to, to claim that, <laughs> but uh, I, I just like to tell, and, it, and, and I don't want to 
to mislead people either because I think it's a mistake to, you know, a lot of people say, you know, what do you like to photograph? Oh, anything and everything. That's too broad. So I think you do have to narrow it down. And that's why I put 52 categories into that shot list. And there's probably hundreds, but I wanted it to be reasonable and something that people would actually do and not get overwhelmed with. Got it. Is that app still out there? My shot list for travel? It is still out there. Uh, I haven't updated it in a while. So uh, there's uh, one or two glitches in it as the, uh, it's only available on iOS devices. And as the iOS gets updated, sometimes it puts glitches into older apps like mine. Um, And it's probably not anything that I'm going to update anytime soon, because as you can imagine, it's quite a financial investment to do that. And uh, I might just make a whole new one at some point, but... Well, f- fair enough on that. But one place that your uh, images are, I, I looked at Instagram about an hour ago and you have some wonderful Instagram images out there. And I encourage everybody to connect to uh, Ralph on his uh, Instagram is uh, at Ralph Alasco, I believe. And th- those were wonderful. But you also mentioned earlier in this discussion, some uh, an area of the country or an area of the world rather that's near and dear to my heart and that is Spain. Um, I am an Air Force brat and I spent three years in Madrid. My girlfriend was actually born in Valencia. Nice. And so we are, um, uh, and her mother actually, who now lives here in Vegas, uh, is also from Valencia. So uh, Valencia is near and dear to us. What are some of the, your highlights of Spain, I guess, in general? Yeah, you know, I always uh, call Spain the other Italy. Italy gets all the accolades and the press, it seems, and everyone knows Tuscany and things like that. But I always say that, you know, Italy is the other, or uh, Spain is the other Italy because it's got just as much culture, history, the food is off the charts, the the architecture, the people, uh, the olive oil, it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, one of my favorite places. Um, as far as uh, specific places within Spain, uh, just some uh, cities that I enjoy is uh, Segovia, which is a beautiful sort of village. It's grown to more than that these days, but it's uh, maybe 45 minutes to an hour outside of Madrid. I'm sure you've probably been there. Oh, yeah. It's got 2,000-year-old Roman aqueduct that's held together with nothing but gravity. Wow. It's it's absolutely incredible. And um, so that's one of my favorite smaller towns. Uh, I was just in... Um, the Basque country, I guess it's been about 10 months now, it seems like yesterday, but uh, last September I was in the Basque country, which is in the north, and that's uh, San Sebastian, Andorabia, Guetaria, and also La Rioja, which is a very famous wine region. And I'd been to San Sebastian several times before, but uh, explored this area much more, uh, putting together a a scouting trip for a future tour that I'm, I'm doing uh, hopefully this, this September. I usually scout these destinations a year in advance and I absolutely fell in love with that region. Again, the food and the uh, landscapes, beautiful wineries, little, uh, these hilltop villages. And when you think of uh, these old hilltop villages, 
I, I typically think of Tuscany, but Spain has just as beautiful ones that are just as historic, usually less touristed. And so I, I love to, uh, you know, certainly get out before the tourist crowds and the heat of the day and things like that. But uh, I can't say enough about Spain. Got it. You don't always get the conditions that you want, even with the best of planning. Uh, the light, the weather, the clouds, construction, a million variables often make it a challenge for you, I would imagine. How do you prepare for the unexpected? And what's your biggest challenge in photography? Well, I've always been a one body, one lens shooter. And so I am not someone that's out there with two or three bodies and five or six different lenses and big backpacks and carrying stuff around. So I'm pretty much ready for anything because uh, I'm, I limit myself. I, I think there's, there's something to be said about limiting yourself and only having that one body and one lens to shoot with. Uh, so now don't get me wrong. I miss a lot of shots because I wish I had a longer lens or a wider lens or a faster lens but I get other shots because I'm not swapping out lenses, uh, you know, pulling over to the side to change bodies. And uh, I don't look like a professional photographer when I'm in the place and, you know, got two bodies and two lenses hanging off my side. And that might be intimidating to my subjects and, or change the scene in a way. So I want to look like a regular Joe that, uh, you know, is interested in taking some vacation shots. Um, Hopefully I do a little bit better than that, <laughs> but uh, I think you understand what I mean. So the more I limit myself, the more I'm prepared for almost anything in a way, in a funny, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, contradictory, but uh, you know, when you limit yourself, there's only so many options that you have and you make do with what you got. Right. Certainly do. Yeah, I was looking at, you know, some of your images and you actually mentioned this earlier. Uh, you like to catch people. And people doing things, and I'm a big, big fan of that. Uh, the static, uh, the you know, image shot. Anybody can probably grab a couple of those and get lucky every once in a while and make it look good. But to actually catch somebody doing something or catch uh, some sort of action that's spontaneous, those to me are the shots that make travel sing. I absolutely agree, and uh, that takes some practice. You know, they, they say even a blind mouse finds a hunk of cheese once in a while, you know, so <laughs> you, you can get lucky. Uh, and, uh, you know, most of us do, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it comes with experience, uh, no, and I always say that it's about timing and anticipation. So it's anticipating the photo op before it even happens. And that comes with experience and doing these things, patience, but, you know, even just uh, let's say we're in a market and I see a vendor and uh, he, or she, he or she is doing something that looks interesting. And I might stand off to the side for a little bit, kind of get a feel for what they're doing and the timing of it. Uh, perhaps uh, I, I just comes to mind a woman that uh, I met in Bulgaria and she was uh, cracking walnuts, which they're very famous for there. And she had these very brown stained hands from the walnuts, mm. but she had this little hammer and she was, and I love hands. 
Mm-hmm. So if you look through my feed, you might see some shots of hands. I just I, love people's hands. And so she was cracking these walnuts with this little hammer, I think it was. She had these very stained hands. But I wanted to time that shot, you know, when the walnut was sort of exploding as she, you know, hit it. And that takes practice. That takes time. Um, but you often don't have time. So you got to get lucky. Uh, and that's maybe where you're shooting a lot. You're just going click, 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 click. And, you know, and you hope that you get one or two shots and that, you know, that's the secret to a lot of that type of photography. You know, there, you know, once in a while I get lucky where man there, I just had one, uh, you know, I took one shot and I got it right, but that's unusual. So, you know, most even professional photographers are taking a number of shots to get that timing just right, get that background just right, get those hands or those people in just the right position. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't do anything. I, I usually don't shoot in continuous mode, which is where the camera just goes. Uh, okay. you know, that's, that's rare, but once in a while I might do that. But uh, I like to, you know, kind of pre-focus, you know, in this situation, maybe where the walnut is, uh, make sure my exposure is correct. And then I just go click, 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 click as she's hitting that thing. And hopefully I got one of those right. And I usually do. It's nice. You've traveled to so many countries as mentioned in your, um, in your portfolio. Uh, what's the best way to experience a place and travel like a local? It's a great question because it's something very dear to my heart. Uh, if I could just give a quick plug, I'm, I'm starting my own YouTube channel coming up, uh, hopefully in the next few weeks. And uh, maybe by the time this comes out, it will have launched or soon after. But a lot of it's going to be about talking about how to travel like a local. Mm. Uh, and so I, I just, you know, as much as I travel these days, and I'm usually on the road eight or nine months out of the year, I'm what's come to be called location independent, meaning I don't have a home. Uh, so I, I, I actually live on the road um, or in airplanes or Airbnbs. And uh, but right now I'm uh, locked down kind of like everyone is at this point. But, um, you know, being living like a local is something where uh, I like to rent Airbnbs and there's some controversy about that these days with uh, COVID and things like that. And, uh, you know, that whole thing might've changed, but uh, I, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Um, but I like to be sort of in a neighborhood instead of just a hotel that's in the center of the tourist area. And that's the same thing that I try to do with my tours. Uh, we try not to stay at big brand hotels that are right in the center of the tourist district. I like to be just on the edge of it so that my clients mm-hmm. can walk out the door and be in the, you know, the interesting historic center very quickly. Uh, although now my tours with my new brand called Ala Campania Experiences, we're actually spending more time in one or two places that are more off the beaten path and in the countryside and uh, more open air and peaceful and relaxing as opposed to moving around a whole country or region and seeing a lot, um, but a little, you know, just very briefly. 
But uh, trying to put yourself in a neighborhood is great because then you're not going to see any other tourists. You're just kind of going to the same grocery stores that all the locals are. Um, I love to uh, even finding local guides. So if you're on a you know personal trip and you're going out, um, you know there's so many of these websites nowadays where you can find a local guide and they're usually very inexpensive. You know, I, a lot of time you think that maybe it's going to be really expensive to have your own personal guide, mm-hmm. but depending where you're going to, it could be very inexpensive, anywhere from 25 to $50 a day. Oh, that's uh, reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes including their car to drive you around, stuff like that. But usually they'll meet you at your place. You go walk and you tell them exactly what you're looking for. You know, I would love to meet uh, craftspeople or, you know, uh, let, you know, uh, an interesting, can you take me to some interesting restaurants? Uh, uh, I come from a restaurant background, so I am very interested in food and it's such a big part of travel. Uh, so I love to find uh, off the beaten path, locals only type restaurants. Um, you know, maybe there's no menu and the, you know, the, the, the woman that owns the place just makes whatever is fresh that day. So uh, those kinds of things and, and asking the guide to, you know, tell them what you're looking for. You know, I love interesting characters, uh, people that make instruments or uh, some sort of local craft, but not at a touristy sort of, you know, big box place. Those are the things I'm interested in. Uh, number one, just to see and experience and meet these people. Cause I just, that's why I travel. But also if, you know, to photograph, but you don't have to do the photograph part. And we can do that now with, with just our smartphones. Right. Uh, briefly, before we uh, get into the next question, you mentioned your YouTube channel. Do you have a name for it yet? I sure do. It's called the, the excuse me, it's called the Continental Drifter. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, <laughs> yeah. t- uh, that shirt you're wearing. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a shirt that says Continental Drifter on it. Yeah. I just happen to be wearing this uh, today. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe uh, you could put some links in the show note to it because uh, we're, we're really, uh, it's, it's going to be about travel tips and photography photography advice. So, um, and, and, and typically for, uh, maybe a forties and over crowd. So baby boomers and, uh, the, the gen X type of, uh, people that are, are the ones that I travel with those are, that's sort of, you know, forties to seventies and even eighties are the people that travel with me. So I speak that language. I am one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why are you excluding me before Michael, Michael's itching to ask the following question, but I want to know first, why are you excluding me? Are you under 40 or what? (laughs) (laughs) Don't answer that. (laughs) I welcome all age groups, no problem. (laughs) I told you it was going to be a fun show. Absolutely. All right. I I have a question. I'm a novice. I'm a a nobody. I don't have your skill set. All I have is this crazy thing called a cell phone to take images. What would you recommend to a novice who just is going to a destination, wants to immerse themselves in a culture, but really doesn't have, you know, professional camera equipment? What would you tell them? Number one, that I shoot about 50% on my smartphone, uh, even today. Uh, so, and that's actually growing, uh, the, the percentage. So these 
phones that are in our pockets are more powerful than almost any cameras that came before them. And, you know, maybe not for, I don't know, resolution and zooming capability. And, you know, the, although there's a lot of apps that you can change the exposure and ISO and all these things that you normally could only do on a, on a DSLR or micro four thirds camera. But what I love about the smartphone is that I can shoot slow motion, video, time-lapse, panoramas, pictures, and then I can combine those into a single uh, sort of mini movie. And I do this often with my trips. So I'll capture all this different type of content and then I'll put that in the, I'm a iPhone user, uh, the Photos app has a feature called Memories. And if you put all that content from that place or trip into a folder, the iPhone will actually create a memory for you. And then you can go in and tweak it and do different things with it, make the clips longer, shorter, add music, titles, things like that. And it makes a beautiful little memory of your travels. And for me, it makes a great overview of a particular trip when I try to market it. So it's so easy to do. I actually teach a whole webinar on it. It's free, of course. And um, so, but my number one tip with that is be ready. You, know, you have to be ready. You have to know how to get to your camera's, you know, feature to, to open up that camera and be ready to shoot right away. So on the iPhone, you bring it up, it, you know, you, the, the, the um, screen comes to life, you push the one button and you're ready to shoot. But if you're in a situation where, you know, mar fast moving market or a street scene, uh, and it takes you even three or four or five seconds to get to your camera, that moment's probably gone. So you have to be ready. Right. And that's with any kind of camera whatsoever. But the, the, just don't underestimate the power of that device that's with you all the time. And uh, I'm getting some really nice footage. Um, also, when it comes to shooting video, a lot of times we want to follow the action and just, you know, you, you've watched that footage of someone who's the camera's all over the place. No one wants to watch that. Right. Let the action happen in front of you. Just stay still and let the action happen in front of you and shoot in short clips, then maybe move to a different composition. Yeah, you're, you're singing Dave's language because he probably has not told you he's a videographer by trade. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I'm sort of like you, Ralph. I used to be in the stock market. I was an accountant. I'm a videographer. I'm a wow. news person. Well, you know. Fantastic. You have to be versatile. You know I like to. <laughs> no, no, man, don't tell us that. That ego's big enough. <laughs> I see his head growing. Yeah, yeah yep. it, it really is. I, I, I thought you were paid to say that, but okay. <laughs> Michael mentioned uh, earlier about the great uh, images that you have on your site. Do language barriers ever affect your work when you're photographing people, As, especially since you've traveled to so many countries, different languages? Yeah, it's a good point. And uh, no, not really. And oftentimes not speaking the language is a benefit. So I, I, I speak Spanish and some English. 
And uh, <laughs> in that order, <laughs> in that order. Uh, but no, most of the places that I go to Cambodia, India, Vietnam, Morocco, you know, all over Europe, uh, I probably don't speak the language. Now, in many places, the locals speak English. So that's that's a nice benefit for me. However, uh, a lot of places they don't, of course. And so I will, uh, you know, there's that universal body language of just kind of holding your camera up with a questioning look, you know, if the person's looking at you and they see that, you know, and it, you know, a photo and uh, you know, kind of everyone understands what photo means and they're either going to kind of indicate yes or no, or, you know, whatever, but it, uh, it may start a conversation or I was talking about kind of hanging out and just watching the scene earlier. Um, there, there's two thoughts of this is a lot of times people talk about, you know, ha, uh, forming a relationship with the subject before photographing them. And there's absolutely a benefit to that. But then those shots tend to become more staged and a little bit potentially um, a little colder sometimes. Uh, although there's going to be a big argument about this. I know because <laughs> it can go both ways, but you know, you're trying to form a, I, I understand the, the idea we're trying to form a relationship with someone so that, you know, before we just start take, take, taking, you know, cause we take photographs, we capture images, you know, it's all about me, the photographer, which it shouldn't be, it should be about the person. So that's why photographers talk about, you know, making photographs and things like that. Uh, what, one thing that I love to do is bring back photographs to people that I've met on previous trips. So I have the luxury of going back to these places over and over again uh, when I do trips to them. I mean, I've done Cuba 18 times and mm. I don't know, Romania eight or nine times. So I get to go back to these places. So I always bring back pictures from the previous year. And some people will even bring a small printer with them or, you know, even go out and get photographs printed and then bring them back to those people. But uh, there's, su it's such a nice gift. It's a inexpensive, lightweight, very meaningful gift for me to bring these pictures back to people. And there's times when, uh, you know, in some places around the world that I go to that are pretty remote, these people may not have a phone. They probably don't have a camera and they may not even have a mirror in their home and, and know what they look like. Mm -hmm. So there's been times where I brought a picture and I, and it might've been a few years in between. It was a little kid or something. Uh, this happened in Copper Canyon, Mexico a few years ago. I had made a shot maybe two or three years earlier. I brought the pictures back. I knew where I'd made it. I was showing it to this little girl. Uh, she, you know, she's maybe 12, 13 years old. And I said, uh, do you know who this girl is in this photograph? And she said, no, I don't know. And then I showed it to some other little girls just a couple feet away that obviously were friends. She says, the girl says, that's the girl you just took, you just asked. She didn't even recognize herself in that picture. Wow. And, you know, it's things like that. And it's moments like that, that, you know, I, I get a little verklempt, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting. And uh, I feel, you know, or, or I bring back pictures and it might be of the, 
the children of a woman who doesn't have any pictures of her kids. And so here I am bringing back this thing that's very inexpensive by my standards, but very meaningful to her. So that. that's something that's a trick. If you, if you're going back to places, bring back pictures of people. Cause uh, I mean, I've got about a 70% success rate of finding the people almost in the same exact spot a year later. <laughs> wow. You know, that that's the single best story I think I've heard this year. That is, um, you never think that there are places around the world where people don't even know what they look like. I mean, that actually almost brought a tear to my eye just listening yeah. to you tell that story. I, I know that had to put a lump in your throat. Absolutely. Wow. Um, you've hit on a lot of places that you've been in and you don't have to list them in any specific order. I'm going to ask you a two part question. What are some of your favorite places to go? And the second part of that is uh, name a couple destinations that you've never been to that you would like to go. <laughs> sure. So uh, Cambodia is way at the top of my list. I love it. It's such an interesting place. The people are wonderful. Uh, they've got great food. The tourist infrastructure is very good, but not, you know, we don't go and st- stay at like five-star resort hotels. Uh, you know, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but I like to stay in little three and four-star boutique hotels that might have eight or 10 or 12 rooms that are owned by the people that are on site, get to know them. Um, I like to bring my groups back over and over again to these places if, you know, if they're, if they're good. And uh, so uh, Cambodia is just fantastic. And the, the, the places we stay are wonderful. Uh, you've got Angkor Wat, which many people have heard of, and it's the largest religious complex in the world. And that's sort of the obvious anchor sort of site in Cambodia. So you, you almost have to go to Angkor Wat. It's the law. But I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, it's so crowded or, you know, at least has been over the years. Uh, and getting more crowded, but uh, you're finding it's such a big place that you could find some really off the beaten path places. And that's a perfect location to hire a a local tuk-tuk driver and maybe $15 a day. And he will take you to the way off the beaten path parts of the complex where there's no tourists, uh, but you still have interesting ruins. And so that's money well spent. But uh, the food in Cambodia is off the charts wonderful. I really fell in love with that country. Cuba, I've been to many times. I have a lot of really good friends there. So I'd love to go back to Cuba. Uh, This is the first year I haven't gone in 10 years now. I used to go four times a year sometimes, but uh, looking forward to doing that trip again next spring or March. And, um, what else? Romania, Spain, um, uh, Costa Rica. Now that I'm going, I uh, just started going to Costa Rica a few years ago and we go to a very off the beaten path place called the Osa Peninsula. And have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah. Was- yeah. And it's, uh, it's considered the, I think actually I might've been listening to your show uh, you had a woman on from, from Costa Rica. Yeah. Yes. yeah, Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it National Geographic calls it the most biologically intense place on earth. Just this little Osa Peninsula. 
And uh, my understanding is they have more bird species. They have more bird species there, second only to the entire country of Colombia. Oh, my gosh. On this tiny little peninsula called the Osa Peninsula in the southwestern part of the country. So just fantastic. Uh, those, those are the kinds of places that I just love going to. Um, we, we stay at a private castle in the Dordogne region of France, uh, which is sort of southwestern France. Uh, finally got to Provence last year. I'd been wanting to go there for 30 years. Finally got there last uh, April and just fell in love with it. It's everything and more that people talk about. So those are some uh, real highlight types of places. Uh, speaking of Colombia, that's a place I've not been that I'd love to go to. So Colombia, like to spend more time in Uruguay. I always wanted to go to Syria, but unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Um, uh, with, not anytime soon. No, not with and, and even if if you got there, all the incredible ancient sites are gone. I think they've just completely decimated the whole country, which is just, I mean, that, that you never get that stuff back. So really, really sad. So that uh, that's a place uh, I'd like to go to Zanzibar, Seychelles, some of these, uh, you know, beautiful islands. Okay. So, yeah, there's a popular phrase, uh, Ralph. It says a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, I'm not going to answer you to list a thousand words, but, um, Oh, go for it. Ask them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know the pictures that express a moment in time, the pictures about personal struggles. I'm interested in getting your take on, you know, just some of those thousand words that are, that a photograph would portray. Yeah, I mean, I believe it because, you you know, you look at this, the, I'll back up a little bit. Sometimes I, I have um, my clients and I call them friends more than clients that come on my trips because I have the most wonderful people that come on my tours. But uh, there are times when someone will say, you know, Ralph, I, I'm looking at my images after our amazing trip and they're just not, you know, bringing back, uh, they're, they're just not saying what I wanted them to say. And it's, it's hard, you know, that sure they, a picture says a thousand words, but when you're in that place photographing it, you're feeling the heat of the sun, you're smelling, you know, that barbecue from the local vendor, uh, you're hearing the traffic noises, the people talking, you know, there's all these five senses that are contributing to your experience and you're trying to put that into a two-dimensional piece of paper or you know some thing that pops up on your computer screen or your phone and that's virtually impossible to do so I think you know people sometimes need to set their expectations down a little bit and realize that uh, you know you can't put all five senses into a shot now that's our goal is to try to try to get that but um, I mean, I, I love to capture that moment that, uh, you know, no one else did because it's usually people because, you know, you get landscapes, they don't change too much. Right. But uh, it's, that's why I love people photography because uh, those moments will probably never be back and uh, you're more likely to capture something very unique, but uh, you know, trying to get an expression 
Um, also, there's that talking about you know, telling the story. It's about the environment. So there's portraits and there's environmental portraits. And a portrait is more just sort of a picture of a person's face that could probably be uh, have been made anywhere. There's no context. But when you shoot a little wider and you show the background and maybe you're talking about, uh, you know, I, I imagine a, a, a Tuareg tribesman in the dunes of Morocco and there's a camel train going across some other dunes in the background or something that adds to that story. Those are the shots that I absolutely love. Um, I often tell the story of uh, having gone to uh, years ago, probably 15 years ago now when I, before I ever consider myself a professional photographer. And I went to a presentation by one of the top photographers in the world. And for two hours, all he did was put up these portraits of, I mean, they were the most beautiful portraits I'd ever seen. But after five or 10 minutes, I was like, okay, enough's enough. Was there anything else in that place? And that kind of goes back to that idea of working with a shot list and telling the story. So I wanted to see some more context, not just pictures of people's faces. And, um, there's a place for that. And, and to me, there's a, that's part of the story. Absolutely. I mean, without a doubt, especially people, you know, there's nothing more specific to a place than it's people. But, uh, you know, those environmental portraits are the shots that I absolutely love where it's, you know, that person's is a part of the frame, maybe a big part of the frame, but then something's going on in the background or foreground that helps to give context of where that shot was made or who that person is. Well, I, I love your emphasis on culture and people. Um, uh, uh, to me, that that sells the whole thing. And it actually goes back to something Dave mentioned at the beginning of, of this podcast. People typically make travel decisions if they've never been to a place based on the images that they see. Uh, they're just taking a guess that it's going to be uh, a, a great vacation destination. And when you actually show the culture and the people interacting, I, to me, that sells travel. If, if you can't get heartwarmed by seeing people and the culture of a place, you shouldn't go. Right. You, you just shouldn't. Um, before we wrap up, I know that you also do tours. And do you have any upcoming tours? Uh, this is your time to tell me what you're doing, where you're going in the future, assuming COVID does not restrict your travels. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, yeah, so I organize uh, tours. Uh, I call them cultural tours. My photo enrichment adventures brand, uh, those trips are uh, more focused on photography. So I teach photography. But I get a lot of non-photographers on those trips. So uh, I created them so that uh, a couple might want to come on the trip. And I get a lot of couples where one's interested in photography and the other one, not so much. But there's something for everyone. There's not so much photography that it bores the heck out of the, the other spouse that's not interested. They will always come along with us on our walks which are usually earlier in the morning, and I'm not talking four or five o'clock in the morning, seven, seven thirty, when the town or the city is starting to wake up, people are on their way to work, kids on their way to school. Um, those are the shots that I'm after, uh, but it's better light. 
It's cooler. So who doesn't want to see that, whether or not they're photographing it or experience that? So I like to think that our trips are, uh, you know, a little bit of something for everyone, but we're not trying to appeal to everyone necessarily either. So uh, there's a lot of culture and food, the people, again, uh, you know, learning about uh, instrument makers in, in Rome, Italy. Um, I don't do that, that, that Tuscany tour anymore, but uh, we used to, in Rome, we would meet with a, a local violin maker in Madrid, uh, you might appreciate this, that uh, we meet with a man who makes flamenco guitars. And uh, as a quick story about him, I, uh, the hotel that we stay at, um, I just happened to be walking out and I, there's kind of one of these sort of underground office spaces. And I kind of looked down and I could just peek in the window and I see this guitar shop and I knocked on the window and I, asked the man in Spanish, I said, boy, this is really interesting. Would you mind if I came in and take a look? And he said, no, come on in. So it turns out he, his son is the fifth generation that's, that's making guitars. Um, I brought my groups back there every year since that we, when we went to, to Madrid, um, we've become friends, you know, now we're on Facebook and it's just another great relationship. And then we went to the uh, Corral de la Moreria, which is the famous flamenco. I think it's the oldest in the world there in Madrid. And they were using his guitars. And you could tell that because there's sort of a signature on the head of the guitar that only he makes. So, so that was, that was cool. But um, I, I'm sorry, I got a, in a little rabbit hole there, but no, uh, no, no, you're good. Oh, you're, yeah, good. You're, you're, fine, good. you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, trips that I have coming up are, I've got my, uh, my Northern Spain's boss country in La Rioja. That's in September. I've got an optional Barcelona extension on that. Hopefully that will go, uh, you know, as, as things open up uh, Armenia and Georgia. Now Georgia is one of my new favorite places. I didn't mention um, when you asked me, but uh, fantastic. What a country. Absolutely stunningly beautiful. So is Armenia. I mean, I had no idea how beautiful these countries were, but uh, really off the beaten path. Again, fantastic food, very inexpensive. So that's a place that you don't hear a lot of companies going to. And so I said, you know, that's the kind of place that I want to bring groups to because I've got a pretty good following. My clients come back over and over again on my trips, some of them 15, 20 times different trips. So I need to create new trips for them to keep them interested. So that was one that no one had been to. And so really nice. I've got India in the fall, my Dordogne trip, uh, Cambodia in December. And then next year, Portugal, I'm introducing a trip to uh, Puglia, Italy, which is the heel of Italy. Uh, while I'm there, I'll probably scout Sicily, which is a place I really want to put a group together. So those are trips we have coming up. Tell our guests how they can reach you to get all this great information. Sure. And so uh, the photo enrichment trips are at photoenrichment.com. Again, those are a little bit more about photography, but don't let that uh, scare you away, even if you're not a photographer. And we're all some sort of a photographer, even <laughs> with our smartphones these days. And then my a la campagna experiences are at a la campagna.com. And I'm sure you'll put some links in the show notes. But uh, 
Yeah, those are a little bit, uh, again, I mentioned that we're staying in, in private castles, wine estates, really nice boutique hotels, agriturismos, former villas, beautiful properties where the property itself is a destination and you won't feel guilty not leaving the hotel. Because, you know, because this, you know, this, it's an 11th century privately owned castle that we stay at in the Dordogne region of France. And it, it, it's a museum and it's absolutely stunning. Of course, we'll, we'll get off the property, but there's 270 acres to walk around. There's a pool, wonderful food, but uh, we'll, we'll venture out into the smaller villages and things like that. I like to do cooking classes, uh, foodie tours, walks, demonstrations, things like that. We're going to go see how they make walnuts and hazelnut oil, how they do the local um, oh, caviar. They have a local, they make caviar in this area. So I'd love to do those little things that uh, you don't often think about. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, we're going to photograph them, but mostly we're going to taste them. <laughs> as you should and uh lastly um tell us a little bit about your traveling image makers podcast oh great thank you yeah so um my partner and i ugo che he lives in uh, milan italy uh, he started the podcast and uh, had me on as a guest and um, i had expressed an interest in doing my own photography related podcast and he said why don't you partner with me? Why don't you co-host with me? And so it turned out to be fantastic. We've got over, I think, 170 episodes now. But we interview some of the top uh, travel photographers in the world and have them on our show and just talk about photography and get their tips and their uh, suggestions for places to go, you know, where to shoot. And uh, it's not very technical at all. So it's kind of high level. So, you know, you, I think anyone can get some tips and not be bored out of their mind because it's not all about gear and tech like that, which is fine, but uh, not for our audience. Yeah, so that's right. at, uh, actually the, the website is ttim.photo. Uh, so that's, uh, it's not like photo. Got it. Yeah. So not.com. It's actually dot photo. And uh, you can see all the episodes there, but it's, it's a really fun uh, podcast that we do. Nice, nice, nice. Well, Ralph, uh, we want to thank you for showing up on our podcast, tripcast360.com. We hope that you will come back at some point in the future and share some of your great stories on some of the tours that you're going to be conducting later on this year. Uh, we would really like to, you know, hear from you and, and uh, just catch up. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're a friend of the show now, so you're more than welcome anytime. I said I've got to say this to Ralph. I want to say hope to see you on the road. That's what I wanted to say to you. <laughs> uh, that would be fantastic. I, I would love to see you on the road and uh, I can't wait to hit the road again. And I can't thank you enough. This has been so fun. It's great to, to meet you, even if just virtually, but uh, I have a feeling we'll be friends for many years and uh, hopefully we'll meet in person and on the road sometime soon. Oh, thank you so much. And before I forget, make sure you tell us when your YouTube channel comes online. We are going to put it in our show notes, but just let us know so we can get it out. You got it. Now invest in yourself. Get out and travel, everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> okay. We have been speaking to Ralph Velasco. And again, we want to thank you, Ralph. You are a friend of the show and you are more than welcome anytime. Fantastic. Thanks, guys, so much. It was really, really fun.